podcast of Florida education issues. I am Marlene Sokol filling in for Jeffrey Solacek, who is just getting back from a well-deserved vacation. So I will be focusing strictly on Hillsborough County today, which is the largest of the school systems we cover. Hillsborough for years has been struggling to bring equity to communities where the incomes are low and the students oftentimes are not caught up with their peers academically, especially in reading. This is a priority of the superintendent who, as it happens, plans to leave at the end of the school year. So I wanted to check in and see if some of the initiatives that he began will move ahead until they reach their intended goals. With me today is Assistant Superintendent Tricia McManus, and I will tell you just two things about Mrs. McManus. First, she was the very successful principal of Just Elementary School back when Just served a very large public housing complex, North Boulevard Homes, which the housing complex has shut down. But at the time, that was a very challenging population, and she made it a really good school. So she has that on her resume. And now she's in charge of the Achievement Schools Initiative, which is entering its second year with the goal of bringing equity to 50 schools that have struggled. So first, Mrs. McManus, thank you for joining me on podcast. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Um, I'm going to get started with some questions uh, that she has seen. Um, The first has to do with school grades and FSA scores. Um, I said, um, I'm going to stop saying um. Focusing on achievement schools, some went up, some went down, some remained the same. I think there were more that went up than going Mm -hmm. down. This is not surprising. As we know, there are teacher shortages at some of the schools, but... We are especially concerned about reading levels, and two examples, James and Potter, this year's results were among the lowest in the state. I think James was at the very bottom. Potter tied for third to the bottom, just based on this year's numbers. So I want to ask you, Mrs. McManus, that was my take, but what is your take on this year's test results and grades? Um, So I will tell you that um, we will be completely satisfied when all of our students are Uh, able to read proficiently, read on grade level. And so even as we celebrate successes, um, we know, our principals know, there is more work to be done. And I just spent some time with principals uh, last week, and they very much are digging deep into their data, are figuring out, um, you know, when there are areas of growth, what caused that, when there were areas of any kind of slip, uh, what caused that. So we, we take this data very seriously, and now it's, time that principals are analyzing it to figure out what are the next steps. And I will tell you that the team is committed um, very strongly to see all of our schools move forward. Um, And so basically, um, we we were happy with the fact that 18 of our achievement schools did improve a letter grade. Um, and so, and then another 12 actually maintained a C, a, a grade of C or higher. So this was about 60% of schools that either maintained a C or higher or improved their letter grade. Um, so we were very pleased about that. Um, some of our schools that uh, were a C last year dipped back down, and those are really the schools that principals are analyzing very carefully. Where did those dips come? Were they in math? Were they in reading? Uh, were they in science? Were they a specific grade level? 
where they bottom quartile gains. And so basically right now it's, it's our schools are really working hard and planning so they can hit the ground running uh, when teachers return on August 2nd and students return on August 10th. Well, let me ask you about staffing, which is probably a, a factor in all of this. And, and you've struggled getting enough highly qualified teachers and fully certified teachers in these 50 schools. At this point, can you say that Hillsborough is on track to have a certified classroom teacher for every child in the achievement schools? So we are. That I, I will say that definitely was a challenge last year. And as everyone knows, there were a, uh, a handful of schools that had many vacancies. Um, and as we look at some of the some of the outcomes of those schools, it was it is obvious that there were vacancies that occurred throughout the year. We're in a much better place this year. Um, our HR team um, worked with our schools and reestablished um, a, a great deal of of, of practices to actually benefit our achievement schools. I will say right now we have about 17 with not one vacancy, 17 of the 50 schools without one vacancy. Okay. Um, and we have, and these are these are estimates because honestly there could have been some hires today it changes uh, changes minute. Yeah. Um, last year at this time we had about 180 we're down to about probably a hundred and that's probably high um, and these are all vacancies these okay. are not just core sometimes I know you hear what it are the core vacancies coach. it could be it could yeah. be a, a uh, some type of Guidance resource teacher it could yeah. be but the core vacancies are minimal I've actually been looking at the data for probably all weekend into today and I am so impressed uh, with the work that's been done by our school teams and by our HR department to really close this gap of vacancies in our achievement schools. So a hundred vacancies but it, but very, but you say across about 33 uh, across schools. about 33 schools, but for the most part, they are not core. So, if my child is going into Potter Elementary School and will be in the second grade, mm -hmm. you, so in all likelihood, they will have a yes. certified teacher. Yes. Yes. Because I remember a couple of years ago um, when Potter was uh, on their fourth year of having an F, and the first day of school there were five classroom teaching yeah. vacancies. We're, we're not going to see anything that bad this year. No, no, because as honestly, we as we've been looking school by school, and again last night I had a text coming to me with, you know, where are we? I'm seeing two um, in many of the schools. If you think about over over 33 yeah. schools, yeah. that is about 2.5 vacancies, and so we're not seeing we're not seeing many in core instructional units. Um, we still, we will be happy when we start the year 100% yeah. um, at fill rate of 100%. So we'll keep you posted. We still have three weeks um, to go. Do you this think week. the bonus plan is is helping with that? So I would think, I've heard positive things about bonus plans. I know some teachers that actually have transferred from non-achievement schools to achievement schools. But one thing I'd like us to do in the near future is really get out and pull the teachers on Wednesday and Thursday of this week. Uh, we do have um, a two-day institute for teachers that are either new to achievement schools that just got hired to the mm -hmm. district or actually transferred from non-achievement schools. I'd love us to maybe do some informal surveying of these teachers on Wednesday and Thursday and really find out what that bonus meant to I them. But from what, what I mean, my... I, I can't give a complete honest answer as far as I have not gone out and surveyed people, but I will tell you the people that have spoken to me personally, it was a factor. Like, they, they had been... They have the internal drive to do it, to, or they have that, you know, social justice lens, like, I really want to make a difference and I want to do this, yeah. and they've been waiting. And the bonus did push some folks to say yes, but I can't say that that was, you know, that was a driver across all, but exactly. I think we need to really, really dig in. Yeah, this is a, a population of one, but this 
young lady who I walked in with this morning at Chamberlain, and she's going to be teaching at Forest Hills, and she used to be a teacher in Pasco. And I said, well, what made you come over to Hillsboro? And she said, well, first of all, I live in Hillsboro. And second of all, I got a very good vibe when, when I went and met yes. with, which, of course, the principal of Forest Hills, very hard not to like. Yes. So she said, and she said, and this is going to sound silly, but the campus is very pretty. But she said also the bonus, she mm -hmm. had some type of side job, I think, a beautician or something. I'm getting it wrong. But she has kids, and this way she, she doesn't need the side job. She can just, you, yes. you know, have her teacher teaching job and her kids. That's, so the bonus made a, a difference. That's a good thing. That All is a good thing. Things. And I will also tell you, like, the teachers that have been there that that stayed, it's also a way to say, you know, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for your commitment, and we know uh, the work you do is valued. So I think it's definitely a recruitment strategy, but also a retention strategy as well. Yeah. Let me get to reading. Um, okay, so a full 25% of the third graders right now read at level one, which is a, a poor reader, I guess is the best way to define that. Um, with all the grades combined, we get a number that's around 24% steady with last year. It's two points worse than the state. It doesn't sound like a lot, but that adds up to hundreds, maybe thousands of kids. And I know there's an audit underway, but the audit, as I understand it, looks at mostly at whether instruction is aligned to standards. And I'm wondering what more you can tell me about that. And also, in your opinion, is there more that the district should be doing to, to get children more excited about reading, to get more books mm -hmm. into their hands? So this is exciting, but these are conversations that we've been having a lot with our achievement schools this summer is how do we get kids, not only do we, how do we provide really great reading instruction that is on grade level, but then also scaffold support for students to bring them up to grade level, but how do we just bring the fun and love of reading? I know that sounds that might sound uh, hokey, but how do we bring that back to it's life? It's real. That it's the real. kids need to feel yeah. happy about reading. Exactly. We want them to love to read. Reading is something that can take you to new places and, and help you uh, just learn so many things. And so even if it's, uh, you know, uh, uh, doing Google searches, which so many kids are constantly on the, on the internet, yeah. you've got to learn, know how to read the content, um, that's in front of you. And so we definitely want to, we definitely are, have talked to our principals about how do you bring back, uh, reading? How do you get kids in, back into your libraries, checking out books? I know that that might be antiquated. So many things are on your phones and on, um, uh, electronics, but, it's not but, the same. but we it's still not have libraries yeah. full of books and yeah. we still have, we have classroom libraries that we um, got out into schools last year with really culturally relevant text. And so what we are hoping this year is from day one is that every one of our principals um, in achievement schools really makes reading a priority, okay. not just good classroom instruction, but reading across the school, the love of reading, bringing it back. When you're walking through the cafeteria, ask kids, what books are you reading? Yes, yes, um, when you walk idea. through, yeah, you, yeah. we've talked about yeah, this. When you yeah. walk through classrooms, you know, and you see kids with books in their hands, talk to them about what they're yeah. reading and, you know, who are the characters and why are you reading it and why does it excite you? And just really start bringing that love of reading back because we're not teaching kids to read to take an, an assessment. Mm -hmm. We're teaching kids to read so they can have a successful future. Yeah. Um, if they learn how to read, they should do okay on the assessment. Um, but this is definitely something we have been talking about. Our teaching and learning team also with us has been talking about this. We are on the same page with really just having a strong reading campaign back out in our schools about um, about getting good books in kids' hands and really addressing you know ongoing reading. I think a teacher at one of the board meetings talked about this. She might have been a middle school teacher, but she really spoke to me about getting books in kids' hands and getting them back to, to loving reading.
Yeah, it's almost if you could create a culture throughout Hillsborough County of reading and of reading for fun and yes. of reading being cool and of reading being, you know, and, yes. and it seems like I've had some crazy ideas about this as well, ju just to get the idea across that, wow, reading reading's a lot yes. of fun. And, and I think books are different from, and other people like tablets and whatnot, but I think a book is special and that that's just my yes. take on it but yes. um, it sounds like we're on the same page with that definitely um, so so definitely. this is something that's being emphasized to principals yes. do the principals feel good about it do they feel like they want to jump onto this yes definitely definitely they they've um you know over time they've i mean you know years ago there was so much on you know drop everything and read i mean there were so many different initiatives yeah. to get kids reading all throughout the school day and we still have a lot of um independent reading, but how are we highlighting that? Yeah. You know, um, how are you having kids track books that they're reading and do different, you know, um, incentive programs around books and reading? Like, it's just it's just a matter of, in each school it will look different. We're okay. not mandating everybody needs to do this because that yeah. would not work. Yeah. Um, but how is every school going to really embrace this and bring bring books to life? I know that in the past some high schools have done, like, a book across the school. I remember one year it might have been Tony Dungy's book. Um, I can't remember which one it was, but those are the kind of things that get people excited. And you can learn so much in books. I mean, the other thing that we're really working on with teaching and learning is how our teachers go deeper with text to really build students' knowledge around what's happening in a book. So not just reading it, but really understanding the meaning behind behind what's in a book and, and just helping kids deep thinker. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, think, think more deeply. deeply. Yeah. Yes. This is good. Um, and I'm jumping through these questions, even though we could spend an hour mm -hmm. on each question. Um, but um, I wanted to talk about the parent engagement mm -hmm. and the parent liaisons. And I actually got to sit in on two sessions over the weekend with uh, Angela Fullwood, who was trying to hire these parent liaisons for the achievement schools. It seems like a, a good idea, but I have to ask again, is it enough? Is, is there more that we should be doing? To, to get parents on the same page mm -hmm. uh, as their teachers mm -hmm. and administrators. Yeah, I think that um, parent engagement is part of a uh, overall um, part of a school culture. So in other words, as a school transforms a culture to be one that is a trusting environment where kids are excited about being there, where things are happening, where kids are excited about telling their parents about being there, um, I, I just, I see that parent engagement can increase dramatically. And I'm only speaking from experience. When I first came to Just, of course, everyone wanted to tell me that, you know, oh, parents aren't involved. I saw the opposite of that within the four years I was there. It was just about how we reached out. If we just sent something home in a flyer and said, come this night, no, you didn't get a lot of turnout. But I'll, I'll never forget the night we did student-led conferencing. You know, parents want to see their kids be successful. We did a hopes and dreams conference night where parents came in and talked about what were their hopes and dreams for their students this year. It wasn't to learn about how they were performing academically. It was just to find that out. And so basically, I think as our schools continue to develop culture, because there are some of our schools that have high levels of parent engagement. And again, engagement, that doesn't mean showing up necessarily. Engagement no, can mean working. many different can, things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, do they support, um, you know, do you, when you call parents, I had many of my teachers that were regularly on phone calls with parents 
both for positive and, hey, I need a little help from you today with your, with your child. And so I think you build that up as part of the overall culture. So the role of the parent liaison is going to help bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. For parents that might be um, not as available, or maybe it is because they are, they are um, struggling having to balance life, um, that a parent liaison can actually be that bridge, can actually um, um, bring both the parent together with the school staff, um, whether it be going to their home or whether it be bringing them in, I think the parent liaison can really start to bridge that gap. Um, and it's a community liaison too. So it's yeah. really about building relationships between community and schools. And I think the role is going to be successful. I mean, it's going to be, it's kind of kicking off as a pilot this year. Angela is going to be an amazing um support for that group of parents, making sure they have the training they need, making sure they have they can come together to, to solve problems of practice as they face those. And she's working with community. I mean, we have community members from the advisory team, district people, um, community members from our NAACP that are working together to actually figure out how is this role best going to be used to make the most difference. As I recall, the NAACP leaders were the ones who insisted on this. They they were. This is a strategy that from day one they said they wanted to see us uh, implement it. So I I appreciate their recommendation, and uh, we are going to work very hard and listen to their ongoing feedback for what we can do better. Now, um, and then I wanted to move on to fail in leadership academies, and and this is something I'm very confused about. Now, I know that just for listeners who don't know the background, the state for a certain group of schools, depending on how many D and F grades they had, the state gave them a menu of options, close down the school, turn it into a charter, or bring in an external operator. So this was one of a menu of things that were mandated by the state. Yes. And so Hillsborough County chose external operator. They hired fail and leadership academies for three schools. One of the schools, Shehi, raised its grade to a C, so they are coming out of mm-hmm. that yes, group. Ma'am. But then six more are going into the group. Yes. I looked at the reading scores at Shehi, Oak Park, and, and Foster, the, the three schools under fail and leadership academies did not see a whole lot of improvement. In fact, Foster got much worse on their reading scores. So I've read the failing materials. It's kind of hard for a layperson to understand. Can you tell me in terms that the layperson can understand Mm-hmm. What is Phelan bringing to the table? What what are they doing for okay. the schools that they work with? Um, so I will. I want to first make sure readers know that you know the the performance of our schools. We take ownership of that as well. And so although we have somebody coming in to support us in this um, in our efforts. We own the performance of our schools. We're in our schools as well. And so I don't look at Phelan as. Um, did you improve the school or not? I look at, did we improve the school together? Okay. Um, and so, although they're an external operator, they, they bring certain um, assets to the table, just like any other external operator that's being used throughout the state. Um, Phelan brings a few components to the table that are helpful to our schools. One of those is called PLE, and it's really around a coaching and feedback cycle mm-hmm. um, that every teacher gets. So, so their belief, and we believe it too, is that you really develop practice through ongoing coaching and feedback, not just a few observations a year. And so they have an entire coaching cycle that is then attached to a university, um, and they say university, but it's a series of training. So a teacher 
can get immediate feedback and then go take some online a online course or read an online article or something that is attached to the feedback and they can get that immediate. Wow. And so that's a, some, yeah. that is definitely a strength they bring to the table. They also brought um, uh, around behavior, they brought, I can't remember the exact name of the program, but they brought another program that schools uh, could use to track student behavior so that we were giving rewarding students when necessary. And I, again, I can't remember the name of the program. I'm, I'm sorry about that. But they, they are... Um, they have hired more staff to be on the ground, and I think that will be helpful. Um, and, and that was something along the journey last year that they realized they needed more folks to help. And so I, we look at this as a partnership. Again, we're not going to say that it was Phelan that improved a school or didn't improve a school. It is a partnership between the district and Phelan when we have success or a lack of success. Well, no, I appreciate that, and I appreciate the district taking ownership. I guess the term is misleading because when you think external operator, you think oh, this external operator, they are taking over and they will be in charge. And in fact, I think there were some meetings, I was not at these meetings, but they were described to me where Mr. Phelan said that he would have authority over who teaches at the school, who the principal is. That is true. So that is he true. Does so, have yeah, so those are the things. Yes, when they came in, I guess it's because I'm thinking about throughout the year. Yeah. But when they came in early on, they went into classrooms. They assessed. They assessed the principal. They assessed what's happening in classrooms. And yes, they actually can recommend a change to um, any personnel in the school. They did, can did, totally did they recommend do that, that with any. Um, they... Last, the first year. You know what? I mean, gosh, that was like that was the beginning of last school year. That they came last spring okay. for the schools. Yes for the schools that they could potentially, not last spring, the spring before, for right. the schools they could potentially work when we, with. When so that was like when I was supporting with. Potter. They they, yeah. they had gone into that school, and so they were, there may have been some recommendations. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know if there were any. They were probably had worked with the principal okay. to figure, they did not recommend any principal moves at that time for any of the schools. And so, um, but they do have that authority. They do. They can like throughout this year, they would, if as they were in schools, they might email and say, Hey, we really need this for this school. And we would respond to that. So, I mean, it could have been something from facilities to some type of instructional material to whatever, um, whatever a principal might have needed. If Phelan was visiting and, saw that as a need, they would be back and forth with our leadership team. So yes, they do have authority to make changes within a school, um, but they're really very much a, uh, a partner, a uh, consultative in their work that they bring to the table. And I don't know about all the other external operators, but I do know many of them have a specific focus um, where they're either coaching the principal, focused on instruction. I haven't heard many that focus on the whole the entire thing and actually take over the school. I'm just wondering to, mm -hmm. to what extent are, are the schools better as a result of failing? And I know Shihai, and I've spent a, a quite a bit of time at Shihai, I know that the principal mm -hmm. there is very active yes. in the community and, and she seems to have had an effect on the school. And, yes, and, and, absolutely. and so I don't know how much of that you would attribute to fail-in. Uh, and again, I realize yeah. that this was mandated by the state, but again, it, it's a million dollars. So I'm, yeah. I'm just, you've described some good things about the coaching and feedback yes. cycle for the teachers. Um, and I guess an extra set of eyes to be able to say, does yeah. the school Sometimes an outside per, an outside perspective definitely can help at, yeah. at times. You know, um, 
it is, it's very difficult in anything we do, whether it be professional development, to pinpoint because we have so many things that we're doing at the same time. We have Phelan in. We have Delia, phenomenal principal that came yeah. in. We've got, you know, uh, lots of community uh, participation as a result of Delia being there. We've got lots of uh, great teaching and learning happening in classrooms. Um, good, good set of coaches there. Uh, Delia had specific PD that she implemented. It is very hard, it, even in our profession across the board, to go, it was that one thing that made the difference. I think it's a combination yeah. of everything working together with a very strong leader in yeah, that school right. it's that, hard. that it's made hard the to difference. Know where the line is. Yeah. Um, now, you, you and I spoke last week about this issue of are people really committed to the mission? Is Will momentum could continue with Mr. Aikens on his way out? And you had answered me, but I'd, I'd like for the purpose of our listeners how committed is leadership to these mm -hmm. objectives uh, around equity and reading and everything else? We, I, I will tell you, we are 100% committed. Not only our Achievement School leadership team, but my colleagues on Cabinet and other, other district leaders and our principals. We are very, very committed to seeing this work through. It will never be done, so I shouldn't even say through because that's going to be years. But it will, because we are, it's going to, you know, we will not rest until all of these schools is sustained at that A grade. I mean, that's what our goal is, to get all of our schools high-performing, to have all of our schools with 80% and higher proficient reading. And we know we can get there. So there will be no distractions this year. We are on a mission. We have our, we are proud of some of our results from last year, but we know we have a long way to go. And we're going to stay at it because we all feel very um, positive about the possibilities now that we've uncovered um, what some of the things we need to change in our system are. And we are working on making those changes. So, no, we're staying the course. We're going to see this through, and we are expecting very positive results at the end of the school year and beyond. Okay, listen, thank you very much. Uh, this has been wonderful, and uh, I'll be following up with you on some individual topics, but I, I really appreciate your spending thank your time you. with us today. Thank you. So I am now speaking with April Cobb who is a teacher in the Hillsborough County Schools, and she has also been, become a, a bit of an activist, if you want to call it that. She and some other educators, they do some live shows on Facebook, and they talk about issues of equity. They talk about issues in schools in the inner cities, schools that are predominantly minority, and a lot of the same issues that I, I discussed this morning with Trisha McManus. First of all, Ms. Cobb, I have to say I caught your show last night. It was fantastic. It was. Thank you very much. And I laughed out loud. I got to say, I let, there were some parts of it, the part about the pencils and, and, yes. and, and the pencil. But I, I, it almost seemed like I know you're very committed to this work, and it almost seems like if you don't laugh, sometimes you'll cry. Exactly. That definitely is a great way to put it in perspective because there are some times that, you know, the, the information is so overwhelming for a specific population of children that you just got to find some humor in it. Otherwise, you'll be crying and more bottles of wine than necessary. Exactly. Um, so I'm going to dive right in. And, and you spoke about the data. I was also very happy to see, you know, I try to analyze data. I'm not a math person, but I think Bianca really opened up a lot of our eyes to the fact that the majority of kids in Florida are not reading proficiently. Proficiency begins at level four. And so, so they should not be doing a victory lap if 70% of the kids are below proficiency. 
That is correct. And I think a lot of times, you know, even as an educator, I can say that I too got lost in that language until we all, you know, we, we gather often together and, you know, we sit and have those meaningful discussions, you know, as it relates to the data. And when she said that, I was like, oh my God, you are just having a true field day on correcting all of us. None of us should be really at a celebratory stance because 70% are not proficient. Now, I don't, now, I don't recall offhand the numbers at Jennings. I know Jennings, more than half of Jennings, I believe, is level one. And that's where you teach, correct? That is correct. And what you are sharing is correct as well. Tell me, because I look at the numbers, but I'm not in the classroom. If you can describe for me just how bad is the reading situation at Jennings? What, what do you see when children come in and they're supposed to be reading the materials? Well, I will say this. I am a math teacher for the record. However, I can say that based upon our feeder schools that uh, feed into Jennings, those are our neighborhood schools for Jennings that comes there, they are, let me just say this, the majority of those schools are tier three. Yeah. And what that says to all of us is that those children need a lot of support as it relates to them being able to be considered having an equitable range of being successful. There, there's no other words to put into that because these kids are coming to a place where if they, when they arrive to me, they're reading at best third grade reading level. Wow, and that's middle school. So it's almost, it's almost impossible in some cases to expect teachers beginning, because I teach sixth grade, teachers beginning at sixth grade to be able to shift those kids to become on grade level. At most, I can have them demonstrate academic growth by moving them a couple levels, but levels don't mean like to it, like putting them on sixth grade level. That's not realistic. At most, I probably can get them to like a fourth, mid-grade, fourth, fourth grade, fourth, fourth, fourth grade, mid-grade level. That's, that's about it, because there's no way coming from fifth grade and you're reading at a third grade level at most and a heavy population of those kids are going to be reading at first so uh, okay so common sense because i know a lot has been said about behavior issues but i know children and a child who is three years behind grade level four years behind grade level they're going to get to your class and they are not going to be their best i mean do, do you do you see a relationship between the low reading levels and some of the inappropriate behavior at the school. There's definitely a correlation to that, and I would say that the majority is just that, because when a child is not capable of understanding what it is that's expected of them academically in a classroom where they're supposed to be learning, it immediately becomes one of two things. I'm going to avoid the task, or I'm going to cause disruption so I don't have to, again, do the task. So that's, that's just their normalcy, and I don't know how to say it more um, professionally than I can, that's where cultural competencies come at the forefront in all of this because if you have teachers that are, number one, new to the district, new to the the demographic of kids that, that they're serving, and they don't understand the why behind they're coming to them, I can only speak from a middle school perspective, they really can't grasp it. They really only see it as a behavior and a disruption issue, disrespect, all of those things. They don't see it as the whole child just not being prepared. Yeah. They don't see it that way. 
No, I, I can understand that. It, it seems to me, and, and my philosophy is a little bit different. I, I, I hear people, when the grades come out and the FSA scores come out, they say, well, that's poverty. My feeling is you're the public school system. You should be yeah. doing whatever it takes. What, don't, yeah. don't use it as an excuse and say these children are poor. It's not okay for them to be at level one. It's not okay for them to be three grade levels behind. And I hear what you're saying about cultural competency. At the same time, all the cultural competency in the world, if the child is not prepared to do the work, that'll help. That'll help, you know. But it just seems to me that in in the primary school grades, in the elementary school grades, they need to figure out how to teach kids the basic skills. And I agree with you, Ed, and um, Denise and I have always get into a slight conflict in that because she is more on the side of what you just spoke of and I'm like no nah, I don't think it that way but I agree with her to a certain extent because in the end if being that they're coming with their foundation so broken that's the primary reason why they're not coming prepared and, and capable of demonstrating much more success than they should as it relates to their cohort yeah and one of the things I found in my research on reading is that once a child believes that he or she is bad at reading, you know, when you when you think you're bad at something, then you're going to avoid it. And you're just not going to read for pleasure. You're not going to read in your spare time. And the only reason, the way you become a good reader is by reading. So right. if, if you think you're not, and I have a nephew who falls into that category, and we've struggled with him for years. He avoids reading, and so he's... It's a, it's like a downward spiral. Um, it, it, there's a lot with reading, but I, I think with a lot of kids in their mind, they think that they're a bad reader, and so they do not read. And I can say for me, with my experience having custody of two um, beautiful boys, um, that they're twins, and <laughs> they have a much different outlook at, outlook as it relates to reading. So one enjoys reading. He wants to become a writer, an oh. engineer, and a whole bunch of other things. Wow. But the other one doesn't like it as much. And it, it, it aligns with what you're saying because he feels that he's not good at it because he also has a speech impediment. Mm. So therefore, for him, he doesn't like to read in front of the other children. So what that has created for him, and I had to have a discussion with some, te- some, um, some of his teachers in the past because I'm like, don't get caught up thinking that he can't read because he doesn't choose to read aloud because of his speech impediment. Because at home we read often, but it created such a dislike for him that now that's embedded in him, and we're trying to revert that back to, no, that's not what it is. We just got to get through it because you read really well. And it also started to impact him overall academically. But you're a good advocate for him, and not all children have have somebody who can be that advocate. I, I think a lot of parents really feel out of their out of depth when they try and go into a school and advocate for their children. I agree with you totally. And the question becomes, how do we shift that? Because until our district, and I'm going to say it until I'm purple in the face, and until our district gain the trust of the parents of the children that we currently have in school that are demonstrating the most lack of success we're, we're never going to reach their children. Well, that, that leads, I'm sorry. No, that leads me to something that um, this weekend I, I got to see. 
So at the request of the NAACP, they are hiring 16 full-time community liaisons for the achievement schools. They're out recruiting. It's a tough sell because the job only pays $10.69 an hour. So, you know, and it's 10 months, seven and a half hours. So it's, it's really not a lot of money. But they are trying to get that parent liaison. I, I mean, do, do you think that will help? And, and, if, and, it, and is that enough to, to, to really get parents to, to trust the schools? Well, from the beginning, no, that's definitely not going to be enough. That's going to be a start, just okay. a scratch on the surface. And um, as it relates to those positions, I do believe that they definitely can make an impact because when the, and this is the only way it's going to work, in my opinion, they're going to have to hire somebody from the community. They got to see a common face. The other parents are going to have to see a common face when they come in there because that's really what the barrier is. Yeah. Now, if they're going to go out and hire friends and family to fill that position or, you know, church members, you know, people that are not familiar with that demographic of um, students, nor are they a familiar face of the community, there's no reason for them hiring those, hiring in those positions. And I've heard some side stories about that, but I'll leave that alone. Yeah, I was there, and, and it, uh, the way they described it was that the strong preference, and I may be saying it wrong, but they are looking for people from the community. They want somebody who has contacts in the community, who has respect right. in the community. I am not sure that that will be the case at every single school. I, I know that that's their preference, but right. again, you're looking for somebody with a lot of qualifications and it's not a lot of money. And, and you're looking for somebody who can live on that salary. So I, I don't know if they're going to hit the full package with all 16, but I know that that's what they want. They're definitely not going to reach all of that. That's really like a part-time job doing full-time hours. Yeah, yeah. Based upon that thing. So I'm, I'm not sure how they're going to um, get someone that definitely needs employment because if I had to choose between a ten dollars hour job and a fourteen, most definitely I'm going to go with the fourteen. So I'm not. I'm, I'm. I'm hoping that they revisit that pay schedule or that pay um salary because that's almost. It's, I don't even know what minimum wage is right now. In some states, it's less. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That no, in some states it would be less. I think. I, I think depending on where you live, but. Right, and I thought that was like below minimum wage. Like we. If you reside here in the Tampa Bay area, you know that's not realistic to do to serve as a true income for a family. That's like a part. That's, that's part time. Like, yeah, this one. This one lady came in and she was perfect, but she is retired, and so she's already a full time volunteer. So you know, and and again, it's really a needle in the haystack to find that person who meets all those qualifications, has all those good people skills, has all the contacts right. in the community, and they can live on the... But let, let me move on to um, something... Okay, I know that in the schools... I don't know if this was the case at Jennings. Some of the, the achievement schools this year, they had a lot of teacher vacancies. And now they have this bonus package. They say the numbers look better this year than they did last year. There are still some vacancies. Um, well, in, in general, with what they're doing with the achievement schools, including offering that teacher bonus, do you see any progress? Do you see enough progress? And if not, 
What more can they do to make this Achievement Schools initiative a success? Um, so with the SPARK program that they're offered for the different tier schools um, that's been categorized, extending additional additional funding, and also if your children are attending a public school and they get a discount for the host program. Right. All of those things are grand, but I'm not sure if that's going to be a solution to Hillsborough County Public Schools problem as it relates to these specific schools and their types of problems and challenges. I'm not sure. One thing I can say that I do see growth in it. Um, I've been at Jennings now from the point that it went from a, from what was it Title One Renaissance to Achievement School. Okay. So I, I do see some growth. However, if we look at the um, the bottom quartile students. That's my question. Is there growth there? And in my opinion, looking at the data, no. So I, I just don't, and I, and I really, and to be honest, um, Marley, I don't know what the solution is. I just know that what we're currently doing is not enough as it relates to the kids that's at the bottom. Yeah. The kids at the bottom, the gap is just widening, and it's gonna, it, it leads to the point by the time they get to high school, that's why so many of them drop out. The data don't so necessarily support that. Yeah. To say that's what happens, but we know that all data is not clean. It's yeah. not clean at all. Yeah. It's just made to appear, you know, so that it's not so uncomfortable or it's not demonstrated to where it's illegal, but there's a lot of negligence that's going on as it relates to that bottom quartile and as it relates to African-American boys. So I don't see a significant change for them. So I would just have to say, yes, I see improvement. Yes, I see some schools doing uh, demonstrating growth, but the, the population of kids that need, that need it the most, absolutely not. So how optimistic are you coming into this year? And, and let me, before I put the question to you, say, I, I asked Mrs. McManus, I said, okay, the superintendent is getting ready to retire. Is everybody just going to coast this year? Or, or are you going to have any momentum on all of these initiatives, reading the, the achievement schools? She said, everybody is very committed to the work. So, but I mean, how optimistic are, are you about things improving this year for schools and for populations of kids who, who have not been well served in the past? Well, I can speak um, from based upon my experience and what I've been doing as it relates to training and expectations um, that's been placed out there by my new principal. Okay. Speaking from um, the Jennings um, perspective, with my Jennings lens on, I can say that I do foresee that we're going to have um, significant changes as it relates to our behavior from our students being handled a lot differently through the um, restorative practices um, agenda that we are pushing forward in the district. Good. Um, and I do know that a lot of our teachers went to the PBI, PBIS tra training, which is a positive behavior. Don't get me caught on them last two um, letters, but it's a um, support system for generating kids to change their mindset as it relates to their behaviors and being awarded, rewarded properly. Okay. So I do feel that we will see growth for us, and my initial growth for us is going to be the focus on behaviors because, because the behaviors 
had gotten to a place that something I had never seen in my all 19 years. I had never seen anything like the types of behaviors that the kids were demonstrating. So I know for a fact that we're going to see a change in that area. Okay. Academically, the majority of our schools went down a grade. Yeah. So coming in from fifth to sixth grade, I can only speak that we're going to definitely have our challenges. We had 33 um, staff members leave this year so from Jennings. So that's a high turnover. Yeah. So the majority of our staff is brand new, um, either new to the district or new to our demographic of kids. A small population of pe- teachers in Hillsborough County Public Schools are truly exposed to the Jennings type of population. They can say, I've worked in, ur- I've worked in schools that were um, um, urban schools, but there's a difference in urban schools that um, have majority black kids or um, Hispanic kids, and then there's your urban schools that have majority black kids that have um, several neighborhoods that are at constant conflict with one with one another. You understand what I'm saying? Well, and that's the so, busing, yeah. And you're one, of, you're like yeah. McLean. You 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 are busing kids in from far away and busing kids, yes. And then they all have to get along. Exactly, and in some cases, you have the communities that are right next to each other, but they just have conflict with one another in the communities. Yeah. So the buses, yes, you're bringing them all to one school, but even in their communities, they're having issues. And it may not necessarily be things that are, you know, you know, that's outside of, you know, kids just, you know, quarreling. But when they get in one environment and there's no true discipline plan or the matrix is not adhered to as much as we can because we have systems in place, it just spiraled out of control. And like I say, we didn't necessarily have that last year. So it just got to a place that the kids took control and they ran with it. And I don't see us entering this school year like that. I just want everyone that's involved, you know, that, you know, at, at Jennings to understand that these kids too deserve an opportunity to learn. Absolutely. And it's not going to look like that to school that they may have necessarily come from. These kids are dealing with traumatic experiences beyond belief. Like some of the things I hear from them, I'm like, as an adult, I could not handle that. I I couldn't handle it. So we just have to have a lot more compassion and empathy for our kids that are coming from, you know, broken communities and not so much as label them, but try to uplift them. Do you have have confidence in the new principal? I have confidence in her. Good, yes, I do. good. Okay, well, I'll keep a good thought for Jennings, and I'd like to invite you back on the podcast again. But thank you so much for, for putting some reality into this and, and for, for, for sharing your experiences. And thank you for having me. That's the end of our conversation. Thanks to Marlene for taking over the podcast while I was getting reacclimated to being back to work. If you'd like to participate in her conversation, please go to our Facebook page, Tampa Bay Times Gradebook, where you can comment on the podcast in the comment section underneath the post. To keep up on the latest in Florida education breaking news, please continue to go to our blog, www.tampabay.com gradebook. If you want to continue to receive this podcast, you can subscribe on any place where you get the podcasts, including Apple and Google And it's going to more places now than I can even keep track of. But subscribe and let other people know that we're out there and share it with your friends. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek, again thanking Marlene Sokol for doing our podcast. Thanks again for listening.